0: This is the power of a great story. It brings encouragement, it sparks laughter and joy. A great story makes you think and taps into your deepest emotions. A great story can make you cry. It has the power to heal and it brings comfort and peace. A great story is about every one of us. It shows us the dark and also the light. A great story reveals the truth. Truth will change your life. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Good morning, Cornerstone Church. How y'all doing? Come on. Well, my name is Scott Rogers, and I want to welcome everyone at the Santan campus, everyone at the Scottsdale campus, all of you at Cornerstone Online as well as the five o'clock service right here in Chandler. Come on, let's give it up for everybody that's joining with us today. It's so great to have everybody together, worshiping together. Uh, In this introduction to this final message of this series called Storyteller, there is a subliminal message going on during this introduction. And I don't know if you'll be able to catch it or not. But anyway, so in this series, we've been digging into five of the, maybe the most popular parables that Jesus taught as recorded in the New Testament. And today, I think that we're going to take one that is probably the most popular story in the entire world. But before we get there, I want to say uh, thank you so much for allowing me to be a part of this series. Pastor Lynn and everybody here at Cornerstone, it's been a great time being here. I'm from Northern California, been able to come out for much of this series, it's been a blast. I'll tell you this right now, Cornerstone is crushing it, man, you guys have a great, great church. And here's the deal, what's normal at Cornerstone is not normal everywhere. So I wanna encourage you, be very thankful to God for what he's doing, be very thankful for the leadership that He's put in place, because God is changing lives at all of the campuses at Cornerstone Church. So let's give it up to God and give him praise for what he's doing here at Cornerstone Church. Uh, so the, the subliminal messaging just ended, by the way, for those of you who were waiting for it. Uh, so today, we're going to dig into a parable that is so well known, I wanted to challenge you to re-engage with this. If you've heard it and you're like, oh, okay, I got that one, I get the point. Because today, this parable, I feel, is going to adequately address one of, I would say, two of the biggest questions most, if not all of us, have in our lifetime. And I would suggest the first biggest question that we would all wrestle with at some point in our life is, does God exist? And today, my prayer is simply that in this experience, wherever you might be, that God would use this experience to reveal himself more to you so that if you're not sure if he exists, that he would bring you one step closer to certainty that God is alive and God is well. The second question is, well, if God exists, what's he like? What is God like? Okay, you're talking about your God and all this stuff, but what is God like? And it's that question that we're going to answer today because I want to say that the most popular story ever heard is the greatest message the world has ever heard. And it's in Luke chapter 15 in your Bible. So if you have your Bible, open up to Luke chapter 15 at all of our campuses. And before we dig into the specifics of this chapter, let me just kind of fly over this whole deal. Luke 15, Jesus Is teaching three different parables he tells three short stories that pack a lot of meaning and answer a lot of big questions and what's interesting about all three parables in Luke chapter 15 is that there's one common thing to all three of them and that's this that something is lost it's found and everybody throws a party that's in the whole chapter something is lost it's found let's party that's the deal and so it's interesting, though, because if you've been with us in this series, you might remember us saying that a parable is really an everyday story used to illustrate a spiritual truth. Jesus would take common scenarios and talk about those and parallel them with spiritual truths. And, and when it comes to a parable, you may remember we said it usually has one point, but the application can run in many different directions. So as we look at this, it's really important to know who his audience is. Who's he speaking to? So let's kind of unpack that for just a moment. In Luke chapter 15, if you have a Bible, turn to verse 1. And it's going to be, uh, some of this is going to be on the screens. But as we begin, uh, we're going to get into some scriptures that might not be on the screen. So I want to encourage you to go back and read this later on. And uh, I believe God's going to speak to you in a big way through this. So Luke 15, verse 1, if you're with me, say, I'm ready. Come on, Scott Sale, I can't hear you down here. Scott Sale, are you ready? Ready. Hey, yeah, I heard you. Awesome. All right, verse 1, Luke 15 says this. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. So let's pause right there. Not only do we get a great picture of what our churches should look like in this day and age, and reaching our culture, in that culture, Jesus is reaching some people who are definitely on the fringe. Now, for you and I, we might say that a tax collector is simply some well-meaning individual working a desk job at the IRS. So we're not going to throw them under the bus. But in that culture, um, the tax collectors were much, doing much more than collecting 8% sales tax or 25 to 30% income tax. They were actually funding the brutal Roman army. The Romans ruled the most of the world at that point in time, basically from England all the way to India. They ruled, and these folks are under Roman rule, and how do you, how do you, how would you rule such a huge, massive land in a day when you didn't have hardly any technology? Well, they did it with a massive army of foot soldiers, and so these foot soldiers, not all of them were nice guys. In fact, many of them were savages they would rape the women, and they would pillage the community. And so what's happening is when someone would come to you and collect your taxes, your hard-earned money was going to fund the very group of people that was robbing your community. And harming your community. So, tax collectors were very despised and unpopular individuals. And then it says not only were the tax collectors folks who were coming to listen to Jesus, but notorious sinners, the New Living Translation says. In that time, sinners were literally, uh, maybe even sadly, a class of people. They were definitely the outsiders to Jewish law, and they were the folks who were on the fringe. They weren't just the boys getting detention at middle school. These were the people that were really living ungodly, sinful lives. Those are the people that are attracted to Jesus. So, then it goes on. Let's go into verse 2. So it says, the tax collectors and sinners, and then it says that this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain. So here comes religion once again. They were complaining that he was associating with such sinful people, and this is interesting, even eating with them. So not only was he associating with them by uh, teaching them, but in that culture, when you broke bread with somebody and you ate a meal with them, you were in many ways saying, I endorse who you are. I publicly support what you are about. So Jesus is very scandalous in this whole deal. Because they're looking at these people saying, look at him. He's not only hanging out with them, he's eating with them. He's endorsing what they're about. And this is like one of those chapters that gets Jesus killed, to be quite frank. So, then, uh, so he says, there, he's even eating with them. Great. No good. So then he goes on. He, that's his audience. You've got the religious people, the tax collectors, and the sinners. So Jesus goes into telling three short stories to address really the complaints of the religious folks And he tells his first story we're not gonna read it but he says uh, how many of you if you had a hundred sheep and you lost one how many of you would not leave the 99 and go grab the one that was in danger that had strayed away Remember, a parable is an everyday story used to explain a spiritual truth. And they were like, of course we would. Really, there's other shepherds there too, so they weren't neglecting the 99. But the guy would go off, get the one, and by the time he found him and brought him back, put him on his shoulders, brought him back into town, he's like, hey man, I found my sheep. Let's have a party. Let's celebrate. What was lost is found. And then Jesus says real quick in verse 7, he says, in the same way, everybody say same way. He says, in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. In the same way. And then he goes on and tells another short story about a lady who loses a coin. She has 10 silver coins. She loses one. It's dark. She doesn't have electricity. She turns on a a lamp and she grabs her broom and she sweeps the house frantically to find For her, it was a very valuable coin that she has lost. And when she finds it, she gets her friends and says, hey, man, you wouldn't believe what happened to me. I lost one of those silver coins, and I was looking for it like crazy. I found it. Oh, man, let's let's have a party. I'm feeling a lot better now. And Jesus says in verse 10, in the same way there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Now, let's bring it into our context a little more. Because I don't know if many of us here are sheep herders, unless you live in the West Valley, you might be a sheep herder, but it's supposed to be funny and no one's laughing at that all day long. Maybe that's a sign. It's not funny. So I don't think many of us, most of us are sheep, probably not any sheep herders here. Probably none of us have had to recently sweep our house looking for a silver coin. So let's bring it into our day and age. Let's pretend and let's say we're going to open up the book of First Scott, chapter 3. It's not in the Bible. Relax. It's okay. Don't, don't email Pastor Lynn. And then we're going to tell you a parable. What if one of you were like Scott Rogers and you lived in a home where not only your, uh, your wife Shelly drives a vehicle, but you have two teenage daughters with driver's licenses, you have four drivers in your home, and you do not have enough vehicles to go around? And when you are trying to go to work in the morning and you're getting all your stuff done and you're drinking your coffee, eating your breakfast, getting your stuff together, you grab your bag, you get ready to run out the door, you're going to be late for that meeting and you go to grab your keys, where are the keys? Who's got the keys? And like every normal husband does, we look for our own keys for about eight seconds and then we go to our wife, honey. Honey where are the keys? And like every normal wise wife would say, I don't know, they're probably right where you put them. Well, we don't believe that, of course. So we start screwing around the house and I'm thinking, I'm going to be late for the meeting. If I'm late for the meeting, I might lose my job. If I lose my job, the kids aren't going to be able to eat a meal. They're not going to go to college. They're going to end up living in a soup kitchen for the rest of their life, living on the side of the river. I've got to find my keys. So I think, Okay, I'm going to ask my kids who drove the car last. Ashley, where are the keys? And she's sleeping. "Uh, What? I don't have the keys. Morgan, where are the keys? You have the keys? I don't have the keys. And you look around, you can't find the keys. And like every man does, stands in the middle of their house, full of frustration, full of anxiety, and says, listen, everybody, if I don't find my keys in the next 30 seconds, someone's getting removed from the family tree. Right now, where are the keys? And it's about at that point, You look and you see they're right where you left them. But the day started out okay. It's a a normal day. I'm good. I'm ready to roll. And then I can't find my keys. My heart rate goes up. My stress level goes up. I'm getting angry. I'm getting frustrated. And it's like the devil's on my back. And you start yelling at everybody. And then you find them and hope and encouragement washes over your soul like a clean shower on a nice hot day. Right? And then if I could take this further and say... 1 Scott 3.20 says, in the same way, everybody say "Same same way. In the same way as finding your keys, there's joy in heaven when one person who's not in a relationship with God happens to go to the Santan campus of Cornerstone Church and realizes who God is and makes a decision to ask Christ into their life. In the same way, there's joy in the presence of God. Pretty cool stories, huh? But then, he doesn't stop there. He keeps going, and he gets to the most popular story ever told. Which, again, I think is the greatest message the world has ever heard. And he tells a story, what's called the prodigal son. And many of you have heard it. Many of you might know it inside and out. I would maybe even call it the prodigal of the two sons, or the prodigal of the father, the story of the father. So let's dig into this thing, and we're going to go through a lot of Bible verses, so all you guys who love Scripture, everybody say, amen, brother. All right, here we go. Verse 11, Luke 15. So to illustrate the point further, remember, something's lost, it's found, let's throw a party. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. Verse 12, the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before I die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings, moved to a distant land where he wasted all of his money in wild living. Verse 14. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. So he must have been living in 2008. Okay? Verse 15. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So here in this parable, we see that there's this rebellious son. Everybody say, rebellious son. Rebellious son. The rebellious son goes to his father. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Old Testament and specifically the Old Testament law in the book of Leviticus, which was really brutal in a lot of ways, it said that when a son disrespected and dishonored their father in a way such as this, then the men of the community would drag him into the street and stone them to death. I'm glad we do not live in that day. And so really what this guy was doing is he's going up to his father and literally saying, Dad, you are dead to me. You're done. I'm out. I want you. I want my part of the the, the estate and the inheritance right now. And so his father doesn't drag him into the streets to kill him, but his father responds in grace, liquidates some of his assets, gives it to his son. He goes off and he starts living wildly. Basically, he moves to Malibu. I mean, who wouldn't, right? He gets a pad on the beach, gets a really nice, sweet new Porsche. He updates his wardrobe by shopping at Neiman Marcus. He's clubbing all week long. He's buying drinks for everybody. He's investing in human trafficking, having what looks like a blast. And he's living fast, and he wastes it all, and he ends up broke. Starts going to the pawn shop. Pawns off his flat screen TV, his gaming console, his surround sound stereo. It's so bad, he literally has to sell his autographed, custom Gibson Les Paul guitar. On the back, it's autographed, 1989, Taylor Swift, right? (laughs) Even better than that, on the front, it says, pour some sugar on me, Def Leppard, 91, you know? I mean, this is great. He sells, it's really bad. And then he comes to his senses thinking, What am I going to do? He gets a job where in that culture for a Jewish boy to work on a pig farm was for him the bottom of the barrel. As you and I relate to the prodigal in this story, let me just pause and say this. The prodigal was a son. Doesn't mean he's an unbeliever, but he's a son of the father. You may not be a follower of Jesus or you may, Living a prodigal life is simply living a life going in the opposite direction of the father. And I want to encourage you today, no matter where you are, don't wait until you're at the bottom of the barrel before you get like this guy and start coming to your senses. It took him going all the way through and losing it all. He's at the bottom. And he starts to rehearse his repentance speech. Well, man, if I, if I go home and just come as a servant and work for my father, maybe he'll hire me on and here's what I'm going to say to him and he's rehearsing this whole deal. Okay, so let's keep on going. Are you still with me? Awesome, Santan. Are you with me? Thank you. All right, Santan's with us. Let's go, verse 20, Luke 15. So here he goes. And I think this is one of the coolest verses in all the Bible, honestly. This is like a, a, a capsulized picture Of all of Scripture, right here. And it says, So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Now, I don't know where you come from. I have a good relationship with my father now, but I can't say that that was the picture in which I grew up with. And so, for many of us, we kind of get off track or derailed a little bit. when We start talking about a heavenly father that looks like this because we compare him or look at him through the lens of our earthly father. So I just pray that you don't give God a bad rap for how your father did his fathering and parenting. The father sees him coming off in the distance. In that culture, The men, the elders of the community, they were always to carry themselves in a dignified fashion. They would not run. This guy goes through um, not only being dishonored by his rebellious son, but public disgrace because all the elders in the community know that he gave, he liquidated his assets, let his son go. This guy's living a life of disgrace so that he can extend grace his rebellious son and when he sees the silhouette of his son walking back without shoes his ribs showing starving hungry he knows it's him and he just trucks toward him and overwhelms him with love and compassion verse 21 and then his son goes into his speech he's practice his son said to him father I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. So he's doing his little speech here, and then uh, I can only imagine he's like into it, and the father just interrupts him. He says, Father, I just want you. I'm so sorry. I've re- 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 sinned against heaven. And you hold, hold, hold on, hold on. Quick, 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 quick. Hey, somebody, go get a robe. Go get a ring. Someone go feed. Go kill the fattened calf. He says to his servants right there, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet the guy's a mess he covers him up with his robe maybe his his disgrace is covered with this robe of grace in a sense put sandals on his feet and a ring on his finger basically says no way dude i'm not going to have any of you being my servant i'm going to reinstate you into sonship you are my son and you are back. I'm going to restore to you the privileges of what a son and who a son is. In verse 23, kill the calf. We've been fattening. We've got to celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead. He's now returned to life. Here it is again. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. What is God like? Huge question. Right there. One of the biggest questions the world has ever asked ironically is the most popular story the world's ever heard it's been right under our nose the whole time what God is like he's like this he's full of compassion and grace and love and here's a point I want to encourage you to remember is that when you turn toward him he runs to you when you turn toward him no matter where you are what you've done who you are you turn toward your father your Heavenly Father Bam! He runs to you. What's that look like, Scott? Okay, so I I get it. God gonna tackle me in the hallway when I'm at Walmart grabbing some stuff, and I just kind of like, okay, God, I'm 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 in. I believe in you. I want to live for you. Would you forgive me? Is he gonna come by and tackle me, right, and give those sloppy wet kisses all over my face? No. Here's what here's what it looks like when God runs towards you and overwhelms you with His compassion. Your sin's immediately gone. It's forgiven. Scripture says you're washed as clean as snow. Not only that, your spirit, the part of you that lives forever, Scripture says without God is dead, but he makes it alive again. You are literally, quote unquote, born again by the Spirit of God. Not only that, but the Spirit of God himself says, yeah, they're born again, but I want to reside within them so the Spirit of God comes and lives with you. Not just to hang, but to teach you and help you learn new things and see the world completely different. And then if we so choose, God will reveal to us the purpose he has for our life as we invest our life in his kingdom. And then all of that and way more, he takes us out of darkness and puts us in the kingdom of his son. And then beyond that, when our short time on earth ends, we know that when we step into eternity, we have peace with God and we spend eternity with him. That's some of what God's overwhelming love and compassion looks like. When you turn toward him, he runs to you. So it's at this point, I think we could just stop and say, man, I think God's speaking. Maybe you're the, the prodigal who doesn't have a relationship with God and, and you're going down a path. You know full well. You know it's going to end up at a place where you're going you're to regret. Or maybe you're even a believer in Christ, but you've gone in the opposite direction, living like what we would say as the world lives. A lot of us can relate to that. Probably everybody here including myself, can relate to that. And we can just sit right now and say, all right, we're done, let's pray, let's turn, and let's start following Christ again. But as Jesus often does in parables, he throws in one last twist, and he jacks everybody up. Because up to this point, the Pharisees are saying, oh, the lost sheep, that's the tax collector. Oh, the lost coin, that's the other person. I even heard, The notorious sinner, right? Hey, don't be hating. (laughs) Jesus lets them think they're off the hook, and maybe this parable's about them all along. So he goes on, he talks about an older brother. Here's what he says. In verse uh, 25. Meanwhile, back into the parables where we are. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. He asked one of his servants what was going on. Verse 27, your brother's back, is what he was told. And your father's killed the calf. Basically, he's like, the barbecue has started, man. He's back. We're celebrating because of his safe return. Verse 28, here it goes. The older brother was, you think what? You think, oh, thank God. My brother whom I love has returned. He's alive, he's well, let's go party with him. Wow, I never thought this was gonna happen. What happens though? He says, the older brother was angry. And wouldn't go in. His father came, father came out and begged him. Again, the father stoops down to be undignified in that culture by coming out to his son who would not go in. It was very disrespectful for his, older, his son to not go into the party. So the father comes out again in a gracious way. And he says, but the, fa- the son replies to him when he comes out. He says, all these years I've slaved for you. I never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Dude, you probably don't have any friends. You're a jerk. I mean, listen to this guy, right? He doesn't have any friends. Yet, then he goes on. When this son of yours, he doesn't say this brother of mine. When this son of yours, he might even said something else. When this son of something else comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf? You know what? I think folks who are religious like this guy, like the Pharisees whom Jesus is now jabbing, in many ways are right. Wouldn't he be right to say, this guy squandered everything you gave him. He's disrespected you publicly. He's shamed our family name. He's chosen to go on. And now you're taking him back in and not just hiring him, but you're restoring everything to him. That's not right. Isn't it interesting that even though this guy is right, He's wrong. So lest we be the same and say, you know what? I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus, but you know that guy over there that's living that life? He's doing that thing? And everybody seems to be doing that thing? I'm telling you, well, yeah, I, I hope you kind of go to hell. You get what's coming to you. Jeez. I can relate to this. So I would say respectfully, Mr. Religion, Miss Religious, we don't question your love for God. We don't question your devotion to God. In fact, we see you investing your money and your time and your resources into the kingdom of God. But at what point in your journey did you begin taking pride in your commitment to Christ and then began comparing yourself with other people? You've fallen from grace. That's what this guy has done. Yeah, I know their marriage has fallen apart. It should. It's horrible. She married an outright jerk. Invite him to the 60-day marriage challenge. You never know, man. You never know. They've got something to come to. What if they come and they give their life to Christ? What if you pray with them in their front yard? Don't write people off because you think you're better than them because when you are, you're the older brother. Let's not be the older brother. And so then his father says, verse 31, Look, dear son, you've always stayed with me. Everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead. He's come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. He was lost. He's found. Let's celebrate. What is God like when we turn toward him? He runs to us. That's what God is like. That's who he is. And as much as uh, probably all of us can relate to the prodigal or the rebellious son, what about Many of us can relate to the prodigal, the religious son, who's now taken on his own, saving himself by doing good. But what about the father? What about the heart of this father? Because if you and I, for those of you who are followers of Christ, scripture says that God literally will give us his heart. He will put desires in our heart. We will feel and care about the same things that he cares about the closer that we get to him. So how does he feel? I'm going to take a shot at just peeking at how God might feel for those of you and any of us who strayed away from him. When our daughter Ashley was about three years old. It's funny because you've heard all these stories about Ashley, our oldest. I guess this is because our first kids get the brunt of all of our mistakes, right? So Ashley's about three, which makes Morgan about uh, one and a half. They were that close together. Shelly and I are with the two girls. We're at Cole's Department Store. You guys know what I mean when I say Cole's Department Store? We're at Kohl's department store shopping. Ashley's kind of walking around. Morgan's in the stroller. And we're, we're on some racks looking through shirts and stuff like that. And, and Shelley says, hey, do you have Ashley? Like, um, I don't, I don't have Ashley. Do you, you got Ashley, right? No, I don't have Ashley. Well, what do you mean you don't have Ashley? I don't have Ashley. Ashley, where are you? Ashley. Ashley. I don't see her. I don't see her either. Okay, Shelley, you take that. Part of the store, you take, I'm going to go this way, and let's go find her. We're walking around the store, we're running around, Ashley! 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 Nothing. We're looking for five minutes, about. And finally, I mean, we're talking to people, hey, if you see a little girl, she's about three, she looks like this, she's wearing this, hold her up high and yell, would you? We're looking around, and Shelly goes to one of the employees of Kohl's, tells her we cannot find our little girl. Cole's person gets on the radio, and, and I remember hearing this, this thing. I don't know if it was an intercom or it was the radio but the lady next to us. who said basically, "Cole's oh, associates, blah, 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 we're uh, under a code yellow. I didn't know what code yellow meant. I assumed it was code red. They just wanted everybody freaking out, right? Hey, it's code yellow. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad. It's code yellow. And I'm like, oh, my God, we're code yellow. I don't know what code yellow is, but code yellow must be bad. Code Yellow at Coles, as I understand it, is no one gets out. The staff covers the doors, no one's leaving. We have a lost child, and no one gets out until the child is found. So we all start looking around. 15 minutes. Ashley! Ashley! I'm telling you what, that felt like a year. It's horrible horrible. Ashley! And finally, 15 minutes in, someone comes carrying Ashley over to us. And we're like, oh, oh," I mean, just this big relief. Where was she? She's in the changing room on the other side of the store, wandering around. And I'm telling you right now, right then, when I grabbed her, I didn't think about all the poopy diapers. I didn't think about all the food she would spit back up and she wouldn't eat. I didn't think about the nights of her squalling and bawling and keeping us up late. I didn't think of all the stuff that she did that was taking away just the strength of my life. (laughs) I was completely overwhelmed that she was found. She was lost. She was found. Guess who wanted to throw a party, man? Guess who wanted to throw a party? And I want to say this to, 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 to all of us jesus came to seek and save the lost ever since his resurrection we are on code yellow we are on code yellow the church of jesus christ is on code yellow to reach people who don't know him if you're here today in scottsdale or at santan or online and you do not have a relationship with christ here in chandler it's code yellow for you god is seeking you out how does he seek me out Well, I'm just praying right now that he's stirring something in you and drawing you to himself. God has been working at revealing himself to you for a very long time, and today you can make that decision. If you're the prodigal who doesn't know him, you can make the decision to turn toward him and watch him run towards you. If you're the prodigal who does know him, but you've gone religious and on your own way, you can do the same thing, the same good news is for you, turn toward him and watch him run to you. It's code yellow let's bow our head and close our eyes please with our heads bowed and our eyes closed i want to just for a moment speak to those of you who may be the prodigal who is a bit self-righteous and you have had a relationship with god but you're now comparing your life to others and you're feeling uh superior get away from that you've fallen from grace and I want to encourage you today, turn back towards the grace of God. That's where we find our salvation. That's where we find the presence of God. With our heads still bowed and our eyes still closed, you're at all of our, at all of our campuses today, you're here, and if you were honest, you would say, Scott, man, it's resonating within me because I do not have a relationship with God. What do I do? It's simple. Turn toward him, and he'll run to you. Scripture says all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you do not have a relationship with Christ today, I would love the privilege to pray with you. As you stay in your seat At all the campuses, but you say, Scott, that's me. I don't have a relationship with God, and I want to return to my maker, and I want to become his child right now. I want to ask Christ into my life, and I want to have God to be the leader of my life. If that's you, you say, Scott, that's me. Include me in this prayer. Lift your hand real high right now and say, that's me, man. I want Christ in my life. At all of our campuses, raise your hand. Scott, include me in this prayer. I want Christ in my life. I see your hand back here. Praise God for you. Over here, man, I see yours too. Yeah, and, and young man, right back here. Awesome. Awesome. Praise God. Who else? Scott, include me in this prayer. I want Christ in my life. Right here up front to my right. Who else? Yeah, and right, right next to you, sir, ma'am. All together right there. Praise God. Who else? I don't want to rush this. Yeah, right there, ma'am. I see you. Phenomenal. I want Christ in my life. Ma'am, praise God for you. Good for you. Turn toward him. He runs to you. Ma'am, I see you right there. Ma'am, another, right back here too. Fantastic. I'm pausing. I'm running over time, but there's no way I'm going to let this moment go. Who else? Scott, include me in this prayer. Yeah, got you right back there. Praise God for you right there. You as well. Let's do this. Everybody who's raised your hand, we're going to pray with you. We're going to all raise our voices to God and pray a prayer asking him to be the leader in the Lord of our life. So let's all pray this together. Say it out loud. Say, Father God, today I surrender my life to you. Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God, and that you've died on the cross for my sin. I also believe that you've risen from the dead. So be the Lord of my life, the leader of my life. Show me how to live for you. Thank you for your grace and your compassion. Thank you that I'm forgiven. Fill me with your spirits. In Jesus' name, amen. Lost, found, party! <laughs> Congratulations. Congratulations. Awesome. Let me say this real quick before David leaves us in some worship for just a moment. Uh, if you made that decision, I want to encourage you to do two things today. One is tell somebody that cares about you. And the second thing is let Cornerstone Church know in the seat back in front of you, there's a card that says yes to God. They would love for you to tell uh, them about, tell, about yourself. Fill that out. And on your way out, drop it off to someone by the door. Throw it in a basket. They would just love to know that you made that decision. Congratulations. Let's continue to worship for just a minute. Come on, give it up for God for what He's doing. <laughs>